Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the intersection of work and well-being. I'm your host, Coach Marty, and each episode I interview mental health experts, coaches, and industry insiders to bring you practical insights and tips that will help you build a meaningful, rewarding, and sustainable career. So join me as we explore the path to career satisfaction, one conversation at a time. In today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Jax Black and Tomer Yoga the co-creators of The Big Joy Theory. They lead a coaching model that is centered around joy and leadership development. By leveraging joy as a productive source of empowerment, leaders can experience a lifetime of productive impact on their families, organizations, and communities. Together, we discuss how to find joy in your personal and professional life, how to escape the corporate deficit-focused approach to fixing ourselves in order to lead with more self-efficacy, and why fake it till you make it might actually lead to you hating yourself and what you can do in the long run to change that. If you like the Career Therapy Podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes. Share this episode with a friend or leave us a comment on YouTube so we can help more people navigate their way to a better career. That's all for our intro. Now let's dive into this week's conversation with Dr. Jax Black and Tomer Yoga. All right, Tomer, Dr. Jax, so great to have you both here. Can't wait to talk about joy with you both. Um, and as we get things kicked off here, I'd love for you to just give a little bit of a background on what got you into your current work of f- helping people find joy and a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'll start. Uh, for me, I was a tech entrepreneur for a number of years, ended up working with a lot of different startups. And that brought me um, into coaching because I realized the work I was doing with them was more than just the operational component. It was really asking some of these higher level questions. So that put me on the journey of being an executive coach oriented around entrepreneurship. And as I started doing the work and we have our business together, we've been running it for over a decade and obviously comparing notes of what I'm doing with my client, she's doing with hers, et cetera. uh, We realized that coaching uh, uh, didn't quite go far enough for us that it was too, how do I get to this next step? And it wasn't long enough in its vision. It wasn't high enough in its discourse. And so we started to explore what else was available. Um, And as she'll share, she has a psychological background that led us to kind of the psychological research that had been done around joy and trying to recognize its application to leadership development, personal development, organizational development. And so that's how we kind of came together and did joy. Uh, but that's kind of my road is in through tech entrepreneurship. So my road is in through the playground because I've been doing joy since the second grade. <laughs> I wouldn't have called it that. I didn't know what to call it, but I was always doing this different thing, um, even on the playground where I was really inviting the people around me, or at least I was curious why we weren't leading through self-love. So there's a lot of things where I would, I could now hear myself say, love yourself. Although it may have come out in the second and third grade as why would you do that, right? It may have had that tone. Um, And so um, for me, I just really feel that like, like the most parsimonious, the most whole, the most relevant way for us to live and lead. And I say live and lead because they're not two different things. They should all be one, right? 
uh, is for us to move from a space of self-love. And when you do that, there's like this knowingness that you have in your heart and in your soul of who you are, what is the best way to present your truths to the world in a way that allows your heart to smile back at being you. Like that is our definition of joy. Um, and in my journey, so I was a high jumper for many years. I started in the third grade. I'm only five feet four, which I didn't realize until I was 32, <laughs> looking in the mirror one morning. Uh, but I had this wonderful journey of learning how to choose how to get over a bar that was constantly higher than myself. So I jump over my own head in the seventh grade. And it's like, what do I do from there? How do I continue to bring my truth to the world, which I always knew I was born to fly. How do I continue to do that when most of the people around me who I'm competing against, although I never really was, because I don't really find it relevant to compete against others, they were six feet and taller. And so I was the shortest high jumper in the country. And what it did though, was allow me to understand that like me being me had nothing to do with outside perceptions me bringing my truth to the world had nothing to do with the other women that I was competing against. Me being me had all to, all to do with me tapping into that was which was so true for me. And I had always known, I had like a little, I don't know, like a little lever in my left ankle. And if I could just whoop, kick into that, it would just take care of it. And so I learned to go in instead of go out in order to lead, wow. On the journey, it leads me into strengths. So we did do strengths finders for many years. I am a maximizer, which is why I'm the joy maximizer. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and thank you for that. Uh, and so you can add the woo woo. I felt like it was right there, <laughs> you know. But um, I I became I went into that space because it was the highest model of performance in what we call the corporate mindset. We then realized, and Tomer alluded to it, it wasn't as sustainable. So people would go into strengths and then they pop out. And I was like, no, 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 don't pop out. Why are we popping out? That's your best version of you. And we started to realize there's these things that are taking people's breaths away and people are getting triggered as leaders, like in their leadership journey, they're getting triggered. And I love career therapy because there is no therapy for that. Not really right? Even IO psychologists don't really focus on that, right? And so there's this gap where in a culture where most, most cultures are not really into therapy and there's such stigma around accessing it and people have at least learned like, okay, I don't want to bring this home to like my partner and my children and the rest of my family. Well, then where is it going, right? Because we know that it has to show up somewhere and it's showing up at work. And that's why mm -hmm. we have a leaders. That's why we have leaders who like some rooms you go into. And I know you've had the meeting where you're like, okay, so how old is everybody right now? Like, just, just let me check in with you. Where are you? Uh, and if you're not on your playground, like what playground are you on? So all these things we realized were um, opportunities. I loved your language around sort of like expanding. So it's very expansive when you talk about joy and who you are when you're at your best, but it also deepens the conversation right. into something that is much more contextualized 
around your data on who you are when you are at your very best. And it's like just most people haven't had a chance to have a breath on that. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting thing. And I, I like both these perspectives that you're bringing to it. Because on the one hand, when you say, Tomer, when you say coaching didn't go quite far enough, that's exactly what I came across as well. I was talking to people and all these mental health issues started coming up. And for me, it was like, I need to go get down into the muck and the dirt. I need to get deeper. And then you you two bring it to the light. So I really appreciate yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the optimism. And, uh, and I... Is that... Sorry, it is, you know, so much of what we're taught is the way that you will elevate is by going into the muck and the dirt. And it's not to say that there's nothing to be gained there. Certainly, if there's traumas and this and that, those need to be named, those need to be addressed. But, you know, fixing all that ails you doesn't necessarily derive success. And especially when you, up until that point, have a lifetime of all these things ailing you. So your your vision, your model of what success even could be is inherently limited and tainted by those very traumas that you're working to overcome. And let me, let me add something here. This is really important uh, for me in my journey. And I think a lot of people, it's sort of been unnamed. But if I am to become a version of leader that I may or may not have been designed to be, but society expects me to be, and then I have a presence, a, a, an energetic presence, a visual identity. If I have a thing that is outside of society's acceptable norm, then I am to fix that in me, which is me, and I can't. And so I always say to clients, nobody's paying you for that, that amount of work. So I know we've talked about like, you know, when it comes to women and female identified leaders, you know, that second and third shift oftentimes that people can carry. And I'm like, there's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten shifts here, because then I have to go home, right? And I've got to decompress, find a way to climb back into my soul and then have enough left over to get to sleep and then come out of my soul to be a version of a leader that makes your heart comfortable for any unresolved traumas or insecurities that you have in your leadership journey. And these are the things where we are not paying people for this. It is taking way too much energy and time. And it's just really unfair. And how could you ever get the best of me if I'm trying to be of a version of a leader that fits somebody else's model of who they think I need to be so that they can catch a breath. So I'm out of breath and you're going to be out of breath. And this is why we feel the system and the cycle is not working. And we name this for anybody who feels that they're a person of difference. That not only when we went on our journey, even talking about strengths, we would talk to leaders, CEOs, excuse me, I did not mean to cover your face. <laughs> we were talking to leaders and CEOs and we would get behind the door and they would cry too. And it was the same tears at that the rest of the organization was crying. And I'm like, wait a minute, what, are you saying this never works? Like none of us ever get free, right? In this corporate mindset dynamic. And so that's when it's like, no, no, no. We, we can't keep trying to march to the beat of this drum and all of us be out of breath and then call any ounce of this success. So 
we sort of say there is no gold star that's outside of you, right? Even the CEO doesn't get a gold star. And now we're like in this world where anybody can like fake their way to the top. So that's not a real gold star, right? Uh, that's called fraud, right? Narcissism <laughs> <laughs> and social pathology. So that is not real, right? And you don't have to fake it till you make it. That's not going to work anymore because it's not going to work for you and your soul and your evolution. And so now it's like, we've got to find a way to catch a breath on this and invite people to just know that their own sense of authenticity is enough for them to succeed in this world. Their own light, their own truths, their own wisdoms, their own sense of like what allowed them to be in that magic on the playground that is sufficient for this journey. And can we tap into that and give them space to come whole on who they are to put the performance down? That's the only way you can catch a breath on any of this. And this is so, what you're saying here, both of you in, in different ways, it's really getting to the core of what I think people struggle with, this idea that we need to fix ourselves. And um, I like how you said, you know, just because you address your issues doesn't mean that that will lead to success, right? So often people get into this self-help stuff and then they're like, well, I can't stay in this job. I can't keep doing these things. I, and, you know, I've talked to people who've gone real deep into meditation and really deep into all these things. And they're like, how do I even function in society anymore? Like, this is, this is like really, really rough. And, and I like that you're saying like some of our success is even rooted in our trauma and this idea that a lot of what leads to success is not getting healthy. It's about being more narcissistic, more psychopathic or whatever it might be. And I'm let's dig into that because I do think people think that, um, you know, once I make more money, get a better job, get to the next place, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have joy. Before we get into that, can we just differentiate the difference between joy and happiness so that we can really root this conversation and what we're actually talking about versus what, you know, some of the listeners might be misconstruing? Absolutely. So happiness is all things outside of you. So there are things that can make you happy for a moment. Okay. So think about your favorite dessert. Um, that can, you kind of get a smile like, ooh, I love that thing. <laughs> Whatever that is, I'm not a foodie, so I don't really have that thing, but ooh, I love that thing. That makes me happy. And you can even think about who you are when you're eating that dessert. And we can even think about who we've seen people be when they're happy. Because I know I've been at a restaurant and I've looked at somebody else and they have that food dance going. You're just... <sighs> And they're just doing this thing. You're like, that's your favorite thing. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Joy is what makes your heart smile back at you being you. Hmm. And that's the difference. And so think about all the ways in which, yes, I might know who you are when you're happy, but I don't know who you are in your own joy. And that's the data that we need in order for not only to free me into my own sense of understanding of who I am authentically, and then allow that joy to radiate because joy is your power source. Like if you want to talk about empowerment, you're going to want to use joy as your mechanism. And it comes from within trying to empower yourself on happiness is so expensive. First of all, I just don't have the budget for it. Right. Because I'd have to eat. I have to go buy Eat, put all this energy into getting all these external things to feed my soul, which are never going to feed my soul because they're only last for a moment. Joy 
allows me to tap into that which has always been me. So every moment in which I've been whole becomes relevant, even in that breath. And then I can radiate that to the world. And then even if you remember seeing yourself or somebody else in joy, even in that breath, we all go, ah, I know who you are. And it's so effective and powerful in terms of creating that moment, that breath of communication that we all can just go, yep, ready to go. I want to partner with you. I want to do X, Y, and Z with you. All of that is so much more clear and joy. I love that. And when it comes to um, bringing this into the corporate environment, uh, when, when we talk about that corporate mindset, and not being able to get free of it, no matter how far up in the corporate ladder you go. What what is that corporate mindset, and what are the alternative mindsets that people can, uh, you know, utilize in order to try and bring in these different perspectives? Well, I think what broadly the corporate mindset is sort of this long list of rules, written and mostly unwritten, that we all kind of know even though we've maybe never even been told that you have to show up and look this way, you have to perform like this, that all the expectations that go into it. And, and you even see it um, where corporations tend to get tripped up. Right now you're seeing a lot of this with diversity, right? Dealing with diversity within the corporate mindset, it's, it's a problem to be fixed. It is not an asset to be gained. It is not valuable. It is just this thing of, oh my God, we don't have enough of this type of people, fix it. Because the corporate mindset is inherently deficit oriented. It's fundamentally about what is wrong and how do we fix it. Um, first and foremost, the way we kind of free ourselves from that is to go to the other side of that and go, not what is wrong and how do I fix it, but what is right and how do I get more of it? And you spoke earlier about people who are meditating and so forth, and they're getting so hyper aware of everything that is terrible, right? And, and oh, they get overwhelmed by that. That's part of the journey at a certain level, because as you develop a higher level of self-awareness, you will notice a lot of things that are off because the corporate mindset and deficit-oriented thinking is so pervasive. The example I use all the time is you come back home in second grade with a report card that goes A, 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 B minus, for most of us, the response was, what the hell's up with the B minus? Fix the B minus, <laughs> right? Like that's a great report card by all accounts, but fix the problem, right? Even though we all know a B minus in second grade history is probably not relevant to your future success and happiness and so on and so forth. So. There is a deepening of self-awareness that needs to occur first and foremost about yourself, about the context you find yourself in with a job, wherever else. But from there, as you learn about yourself, you have to move into a next cycle of what we call self-expression. Now that I know this is true about myself, how do I begin to communicate it with the rest of the world? You heard Jax earlier go, through strengths, I'm a maximizer. That is why I'm the joy maximizer. Do you now know everything about her no but you've got a good start you got a heck of a start you know coming to her with doom and gloom and like yeah that's probably not going to work with a joy maximizer right so that is part of her self-expression um beyond self-expression then lies self-efficacy 
how now that we know this about you and you've begun to figure out how to express it in the world through how you speak, how you dress, where you live, whatever it may be, um, how do you now build a life around all of that? What is the work that you do? What are the roles? How, how, how do you go get more of that? How are you constantly called in to being that which is your best self, your joyful self, so on and so forth, all the time so that you're not constantly popping out and working to get back in? And I want to name here, so it's not a mindset, it's a heart set. Joy is in your heart. And that's really where the breath is. So if you try and tunnel through your brain to get to peace, it can be done, but it might take you this lifetime and the next, because there's a lot of triggers and traps <laughs> that are out there. I mean, just cognitively, right? So that's where therapy is actually really good. Like, like let's help you more effectively navigate those triggers and those traps, right? And all those cognitive distortions. And... We are biological, psychological, and energetic beings. And the energy that we carry, you know, I kind of think that notion of our fingerprint is like a snowflake. And I'm like, no, the way your heart shines is like, you know, that, that most unique identifier for you. And I, we just had a leader reach back out uh, maybe two weeks ago. And she said, oh, do you remember me? This is the, 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 I wrote back, of course, I remember how your heart shines. I don't forget that, right? That is so easy. And when you, I love that you smile back when you hear that, but also just think about if we understood how each other's hearts authentically shine, then that frees the frame on the performance of who we have to be because we're supposed to be smart, because we're supposed to do this. It frees all these ways of engaging through in the world through brain energy and it will call back into that sense of like knowingness of who we are which is where we can connect most clearly to our purpose in this world that's what allows us to come into that self-expression that's what allows us to come into self-efficacy and sustain it not just this breath but for a lifetime of possibility and I appreciate you talking about the breath because I do I do very much agree with you both that as we do this work, right, um, a lot of it is brain focused, right? Uh, so, you know, you got cognitive behavioral therapy and all those different things. People go really deep. They do all the journaling and all the all the uh, everything is all the tips and tricks are aimed around like sit down and journal, sit down and think, sit down and do. It's like our brain can only go so far because uh, we're trying to separate it from everything else. We're trying to put it in its own little container and be like, well, if I can just think correctly. And I was talking about this the other day with someone, um, how this knowledge, like we all have the knowledge, right? But we're not using it. And I think that that's such an interesting thing because you've got these situations and in this uh, conversation in particular we were talking about alcoholism where this person is dealing with um you know a really tough thing where they've read all the books they've taken all the courses they've gone to all the meetings and they're like i logically know what i need to do but there's a disconnect between what i know and what i'm doing and i can't figure that out and it's it's that detachment from our body and our brain and our heart and all those different things and i think your point here about authenticity versus performance and how fake it till you make it doesn't work it, i think people push back on that because they're like i've seen people fake it and become very wealthy and i've seen people fake it and now they're my boss and if if i'm real i get fired 
weird. And like, you know, what do I do with that? And so um, let's let's dig into that, because I do think this authentic authenticity performance, all of that stuff gets very difficult because, you know, you see inauthenticity being rewarded every day. You know, you turn on the TV and it's a bunch of fake people telling you fake lies. And then all of a sudden they're making tons of money and you're sitting there feeling crappy about yourself. So how does this cycle, how do we break these cycles and and get ourselves to a better place mentally, physically, and and emotionally? Yeah. I know we're laughing on like so many different levels here because we hear this all the time. They're like, Jax, Tomer, like I'm with you and I totally want to know how to love myself, but like, I got to pay my bills. And we're like, we know, we know. And do you know that you were not born to worry about money your entire life? It's not why you were born, right? And so once you release, and I love that you use the word detach, like once you release the attachment that that is why you were born, right? That that's built in that corporate mindset model of success, which is if we, somebody makes money, then we subscribe like so much to them. And therefore that's some model of success. And do you know how many wealthy leaders we know who don't know who they are and they cry all night long? Like it's not, that's all outside of you. Every heart is designed to grow like a flower. Just breathe into that, like a flower. And so flowers are happy if they just bloom. And so who would you have become had you not been told that there's this model of success outside of you that you have to subscribe to, who would you have become had struggle never been placed at your heart? Who would you have become just because you knew how to love yourself? Like this version of me, I was always going to be me. I didn't know how not to be me. And at some level that did put me on a model of success that the corporate mindset appreciated. And at some level, I got fired too for all the right reasons. I just thought it was great that I got fired because then I was finally fucking free. I was like, ah, so when I'm at my best, when I do what I know how to do and I stop performing for you, then that's the problem. Oh, you all are woefully lost and disconnected from your own evolution and who you're designed to be. That's what I heard. So when you look at joy, it's this really different Uh, breath in this world it's different side of the same breath meaning joy is the data on whom everybody is when they are whole and their heart smiles back at being them so that means I don't look for who's making the most money I don't look for the size of your house I don't look for what you got on I don't look for any of those things I'm looking at your heart and I'm like wow you haven't smiled in two years what's going on right I'm more interested in do you know that your hurt is worth your own self-love and that you don't have to perform either. And if you look at it that way, then there's a whole different like metrics, outcomes, like personal that like even organizations would love to track. There's a whole different sense of like, what does it mean to be successful? Right. And again, it goes back to these really important things that people of difference, and I consider all of us to be cultural beings, we both do. What does it really mean for us to show up and whole self and know that like me breathing five times today? Oh my God, that means I'm rocking it. <laughs> I love that. And there is this idea that, you know, 
with with the person I was talking to about um, you know their their knowledge but not their emotional connection to it. Um, one of the things that we find is that as we're growing up, we're told if we stop doing certain things or we start doing certain things that will lead to success. And so you start changing those pieces of yourself. You maybe put down the art supplies and put on the suit or whatever the thing might be, right? And then 20 years down the road, you get to the place where you actually have a decent income, a stable environment, and you're like, okay, now I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 40s. I got all the things that I was told were going to make me joyful and I still don't feel anything or I don't feel how I thought I would feel. And the typical response to that is to then go get more, go get a different job and a different thing and a different whatever, and maybe this different car. And I do find that, um, you know, when a lot of these successes, when we get to, when we get to the end of it and we still aren't joyful, that's when people turn to substances or turn to numbing or turn to checking out. Uh, it's like, well, I thought this was going to make me happy, but that's not doing it. So I guess I'll just, you know, start eating or drinking or whatever, or, or even setting goals is a way to numb ourselves from how we currently feel. And that was one of the things that we were talking about the other day where it's like, you know, you can use drugs and alcohol to numb and make yourself feel better in the moment, but you can also go tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and be better. And then the next day I'm going to, and then even if you don't do it, you feel good having set the goal. And that makes this moment feel, feel better, even though nothing has changed. And one of the things I'd love to dig into with you is the difference between future joy and present joy. And this idea that, you know, so many of us are like someday, if, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to take these tips and then tomorrow I'll feel joyful versus finding a way to be joyful. Now, how do we, how do we bring it into the present? I'm going to name the thing and I'm going to let Tomer talk about it. Cause he does a better job at this. The naming of it is, is you can't wait to get to joy. That's not this journey. Working to get to joy does not work. Not in this lifetime or the next. <laughs> This is about letting your joy work for you. So you tap into it and then you use that brilliance to move through the world. So one of the misconceptions we have, again, deriving from the corporate mindset is that joy is an output. That if I do a bunch of good work, I will be rewarded. And this again, goes all the way back to our childhoods. We, we, we've all been kind of brainwashed in a way, right? If you finish all your homework, you can play video games or have a cookie or whatever, right? And most of us at that age didn't have the wherewithal to go, hey, mom, dad, whoever, um, listen, um, video games really helped me decompress and kind of forget about the day at school because it was a hard day. And it, it, it's not completely brainless because I still have to like make my character jump around. So I'm still a little bit engaged. And that's really good for me. So that when I do that for an hour um, and I go do my multiplication tables, I'm in a better place to do that work better and therefore, right? We don't, we don't know to say that. We're not invited to say that. And fundamentally, our parents are just worried we're going to play video games all night and never do the homework, right? So we get where it comes from, but it's perfectly rational and reasonable that a kid coming home playing video games for an hour may be the best possible thing for them, even if we measure it purely on performance. How did you do on the math test? Well, I did better because I decompressed and played my video games and then I could study more fully, 
right? That could very well be, but we don't even begin to explore it. So the same thing holds true now that you are not seven years old. And you have, if anything, it holds more true because you have a lifetime of building these patterns of no video games until I finish my homework. Let me just, you know, nose to the grindstone, you know, rise and grind, all of that crap that we hear, you know, so much of what we believe keeps us from success is just not working hard enough. If I just woke up earlier and drove a few more shifts of Uber, I would have had the money to pay for the whatever, right? And so can we lose that for a second and re-explore how do you move in this world? What puts you in that state where you are performing at your fullest, where you are most you, where you are most attached to your joy? One thing that a lot works for a lot of people is nature. When you're out in a forest, miles away from everything, your cell phone no longer can work, and all you can do is look at a tree and a lake and a cloud, how are you there? What does that piece, what does that you look like? And then can we explore what it would be to do your job, pay your taxes, all these other stressors from that place mm -hmm. and understand joy, not again as an output of hard work that you get rewarded for, but what does joy begin to look like as an input mm -hmm. for your highest performance? And that's a way people can start doing it today instead of leaving it to tomorrow, because fundamentally, if we're leaving it for tomorrow, what we're saying is I haven't really earned it yet, right? The reason I can't start today is because I still got some shit to do. <laughs> so, and it goes back to your earlier question about if I'm real, I'll get fired. Same sort of answer, which is, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. It sounds like you built yourself quite a messy little trap that you put yourself in. That you being you, you being in joy, you being authentic means that your income would get cut off. That's, that's an issue. We need to figure out how to navigate that. I appreciate we may not solve it in a day, but there are aspects of your life that you can begin doing today and explore that and then we can really see, first off, if your assumption is even true or not, because a lot of times it isn't. A lot of times it is, but a lot of times it isn't. And then secondarily, where can we still find our authenticity, our joy in our life, even if it is outside of work for now, until we can get to that place? Martin, I just want to jump in for one second, because you brought this up in your last question. And I think Turmer gave space to it when he took us to the middle of the forest. Uh, and he said, you know, what if we're just looking at the trees and we have the clouds? I added a couple of birds. You know, I had an owl and a hawk. <laughs> There's a bird right and here. And there were some it. deer. You know what I'm saying? I just had a few more things. Okay, okay. So now uh, we want you to understand and invite all of your watchers to just know that it's not like it's not about knowledge. It is about wisdom, and wisdom is knowledge plus intuition. Wisdom is knowledge plus intuition. And if you shift from focusing on knowledge and that what 
that which you know that is outside of you. And instead release your brain to sort of be a data collector and not the end all and be all of all things. It's like too much work for the brain. You know, they say like, we only use X percent of our brain. And I'm like, yeah, that's all we're supposed to use it, right? <laughs> the real engine is in your heart where you intuitively can combine outside knowledge with what you already know to be true. Once you give space and place to that, and you kind of let all that knowledge go through your body like a download and you breathe into it, then all of a sudden joy becomes an input because you have your own wisdom to carry that with you. And you'll find that in those quiet spaces that allow you to simply breathe because you shut off all the noise of the world and there's no brain stimulation, right? Nature calls you back to heart. And that's why that, that sort of place that you named in the middle of the forest is where we can embrace wisdom and in place of knowledge, move from there. But honoring that, you know, this head of ours, this, this whole thing, this body of ours does, it is a wonderful data collector. You can collect all sorts of data, but again, it's not the end all be all of who you are. I'm so glad you brought up the 10% of the brain piece because the funniest part of that is we hear you only use 10% of your brain, right? And the accuracy of that, who knows? But the the fun part about that is everyone who hears it in our deficit-minded culture goes, how do I use more of it? How do I, how do I get, and then they make a TV show and a movie called Limitless where you take a pill and that lets you access. And then, get and it. then Scarlett Johansson turns into a computer. And it's like, or just realize that we're bags of meat and bones that that's all we're able to access. Like, that's just it. And, and I think that there's this acceptance piece um, that is necessary for joy to be able to show its face because if we don't like, and this is, I think to your point about knowledge versus wisdom, the knowledge is that other people can do things. I can't wisdom is knowing that you're never going to do those things. And like, <laughs> like I understand that, uh, I don't know, Daniel day Lewis does something with his acting that is insane. And I would never, ever probably even want in my life. Knowledge is going someone's capable of it, then I should be capable. But wisdom is knowing I don't actually want that. It's, I'm not capable of it. Or even if I was capable of it, it's not the thing that I'm chasing in life, right? And that I think going from knowledge to wisdom allows us to let go of things. And I think one of the most interesting things about joy, happiness, whatever the thing is that someone is chasing, right? Um, it might require a lot of... Uh, to, to what we said earlier, releasing things, letting go of things. And what your life might look like at the end of it is not what you think it would look like, uh, you know, from your childhood. And one of the things <clears throat> I was talking about with someone recently was how we set a goal from a bad place. And then it's not working. And we go, well, it's not working because I'm not approaching it from a place of self-love. So I'm going to approach that goal that was rooted in negativity and try and bring a self-love approach to a negative goal. So when I was feeling fat and unhealthy and unloved, I said, I want to be in shape. And then I said, you got to get your fat ass up and go to the gym every day. And then that only worked for a week. 
And so then I go, well, how do I bring a self-love approach to my uh, negative view of my fat ass? <laughs> and, and then that then we that doesn't work. And we go, well, I guess self-love doesn't work. And then doesn't it's work. just this, yeah. <laughs> and so it's just so funny that we do this stuff. And then it's like, whereas if you actually had a you know, true self-love or something like that, you wouldn't be calling yourself a fat ass and you wouldn't be trying to like motivate yourself to do that thing. Maybe you still want to be healthy, but it's that's a whole different mindset and a whole different set of goals and a whole different set of things. And so I almost wonder if like even just having goals sometimes is an unhealthy thing when we're trying to develop these other ways of looking at ourselves. But, you know, I'm sure there's much more complication to that. Okay, first of all, thank you for joining me and my inner child because my 10-year-old <laughs> self when I saw all of my friends start to worry about their weight, I was like, love yourself. What? No, uh, maybe like go swimming because you love swimming, but like, what do you, like your body's growing. So here's the thing. We have weaponized growth in a way where we internalize it as something because it is not on the corporate mindset ladder of success that is not authentically us becoming who we are. So I'll say that a little bit differently. I'm just going to bring it into a little bit more breath. The reality is, is we are evolutionary beings. And just like everything around us, there is a path of growth. Flowers become flowers. Trees become trees. And they have something inside of them that says, stretch your, your limbs this way, right? You go this way, you go that way. Now, there might be even circumstances in the environment that they can account for and adjust to, but the model of growth is in them. There's no tree going, you gotta grow that way and you gotta do it like this. Like it's not happening, people. You fat ass. You, you fat skinny ass. Bitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's no like, oh, well, you should be taller by now. Like this isn't happening in nature all around us. Okay. So we can release that need to grow through struggle and instead allow ourselves to simply be and keep growing. So since I've moved, we moved to Charlotte in the past year and a half, and uh, I've gained 25 pounds, which is fascinating for me, just fascinating. And I'm just curious about what my body is going to do next. Now in the society, we all know, uh, you know, female identified leader, I could feel all the ways about it, right? And I have no interest in it because I know it's not relevant because all I know is I'm designed to grow and my body is still growing. So here's this beautiful indicator of success in life. Success in life. Here's this wonderful indicator, Jax is still growing. And if I go corporate mindset with it, I'm not allowed to celebrate that because somebody says I need to be a certain uh, height, therefore weight, therefore all the things, and therefore I should dress a particular way. There's all these external standards that I can measure myself by, but I don't know how any of that is relevant to who I was designed to be, right? And so if we go back to, we're going to go back to our inner children, Martin, 10 years old, and we're going through that sort of tween phase. And all of a sudden, our bodies are going through this big growth cycle. And instead of facing joy and celebrating it, we are taught to judge every ounce of it. And it weaponizes our very pathway of growth. 
such that when we grow up, as Tomer was saying, and we try to have joy as an input, we're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to get back to that. Why? Well, because I've been told my own natural growth is ugly and it's a problem and it's not worthy. And it is not self-love for my body to grow in this way. And if I can just add to that briefly, because we were just talking about this yesterday for, for me, is um, when we reflect back on our lives, there's so often moments where we go, boy, if I could just tell my younger self, you know, it's all going to be okay. Or the thing that you want is really dumb. It's going to be so much better than what it is you think you're aiming for. And so just yesterday, we were actually talking about this. So she's a couple of years older than me. And as she mentioned, she was a high jumper. And so I'm in middle school going, oh, shucks, none of the girls in middle school want to kiss me. And like, I'm never going to get a date and I'm never going to have a girlfriend. I'm feeling all mopey about it. And meanwhile, my future wife is off winning state championships, you know, jumping bars six feet up in the air. It like, it's like, dude, what, like, this is what you're crying about. This is what you're like, wait till you see what happens. It's going to be amazing. And so it's that having a little, a lot more faith in life, in the universe, that things will in fact work out. And when you think about how much stuff happens on a daily occurrence that you have zero control over, but it tends to nearly always work out. And we can get even as basic since you brought up eating, eating, right? If I give you an apple and say, digest it, you don't do that with your brain. You just put it in your mouth and you let the universe take over. You have no idea what's going on in there. Scientists barely understand it. <laughs> it's that magical, right? Is that amazing? It, you know, and, but yet we do it all day, every day. We've been doing it since birth and we just trust that it's going to work. And it does magically. Same is true for your romantic life. Same is true for your career. Same is true for so many things. If you can step back and realize life, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is very much working for you at all times. And in doing so, maybe you can release maybe you can let go, maybe you can stop thinking so much about that thing. And then maybe you can talk to your inner child about like, oh my God, I'm gonna marry a woman one day whose heart shines like that. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program, which was built to give you the personalized support you need to advance in your career without fear and turn work-related anxiety into professional accomplishments. When you enroll in the Unstuck Coaching Program's monthly membership, you get immediate access to all of the coaching resources you need to crush it in your job search. This includes two one-on-one -on -one calls with Coach Marty every month, 
weekly job search support group sessions with the Unstuck community, access to the Unstuck curriculum, which guides you through every aspect of your job search from strategy through negotiations, and an invite to the Career Therapy Slack channel where you can chat with Coach Marty whenever job search questions come up. Want to see if the Unstuck Coaching Program is right for you? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free consultation with me in order to find out. And I love what you're saying because, right, we it's this idea that we've weaponized growth, that we've uh, we've lost the ability to trust ourselves, and we're trusting all these other people and their opinions versus, you know, listening to our self, our heart, our emotions, our body, our brain, all of it together. And, you know, as we were talking about this, the image in my head when we were talking about the forest and the trees and everything, just imagine, I was just imagining a tree being like, my stump is too fat. (laughs) How do I get my stump to be less ringy? It's like, what? What a weird thing. (laughs) And that's the same for us. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, most of what we do is a reaction to what we've been through. And so to judge it is to judge our survival instincts, right? And this is one of the things that I'm studying with trauma and things like that, where a lot of times we don't trust ourselves because what we're doing on a day-to-day basis is we're acting out our survival mechanisms from the past in situations that don't call for it today. And so, you know, a boss sends you an email and you have this like, they're like, hey, we need to chat at the end of the day. And you're like, oh my God, I'm getting fired. It's like, well, yeah, maybe you grew up in a very stressful household or something like that. And that's your typical response mechanism. But that's something you should appreciate about yourself, not hate about yourself and try to change about yourself. Or maybe when you do, you know, approach the change, approach it from this more compassionate place, because it's more about um, accepting that, well, this is something that I developed because I needed to develop it. And now I have an opportunity to develop a new reactivity and a new way of being Um, because all of that's already in us. It's not, it's not even coming from outside of us. It's just, can I tap into this other part of me or this other, you know, path? Just this other breath. And in that breath, perhaps you can see that like, yeah, it's not this data. uh, And perhaps my last boss was abusive, which is what we find out a lot of times. It's like, Yes, it's the family trauma unresolved, but my last boss was actually abusive. And so I'm thinking that this is that. What we find in the journey into joy is that we can invite leaders to fall out of love with who they became in survival mode. Because what happens is a lot of that survival mode mentality, that is like the version we get celebrated for. So I am honored because I overcame right? I am celebrated because I helped other people to overcome, like that becomes my identity. And it's like, in the reason why I said what I said about a heart shining (laughs) is because he said like, oh, if I could go back and tell my younger self this thing. And I said, you know, for me, I don't really want to be celebrated for jumping high. Like, yes, I did jump high, but that was just like this minor output. To me, what was happening is my heart was learning how to grow beyond all limitations. And I wanna be named for that. Like, that's what I knew I was doing. That's why I never thought I had competitors. I was just allowing my heart to figure out how I can be more expressive in this world, despite everybody looking at me and going, but you're only five feet, four inches. You're not even supposed to be here, which is what I heard sometimes. 
but I just wanted to remain in that curiosity. So it's that I had to fall out of love with high jumper jacks and fall in love with the truest, most authentic version of me that has always been there, which was and was not about jumping. It was actually about knowing how to fly. And I think a big piece of this is to realize that when we when we do start maybe, you know, when this work starts kicking in, when these ideas start start settling, um, the external validation might not be there. There might not be someone that pats us on the back for being more compassionate to ourselves. As a matter of fact, it probably won't. Like the we can pretty safely say that kind of right. they they might almost dislike it. And yeah, um and they're right. And there's a danger too where it's like, well, I truly love myself. So everything I do is good. It's like, well, wait a second. No, you have a lot of self-destructive tendencies as well. Uh, we can love those things. We can be compassionate towards those things, but we also need to be mindful. And it's, I think a lot of this comes down to, again, uh, acceptance and trusting ourselves and trying to find the, the sort of self-awareness, self-expression, self-efficacy that can then help us um, show up in the world in a way that's not trying to perform for others, but just trying to be, right? Um, so as we get to the end of the conversation, we could talk for hours here. But as we get to the end of the conversation here, I know that, you know, you've done a lot of work with individuals. Uh, and we've talked about a lot of big concepts here. But could you share maybe one or two examples of people you've worked with and the ways in which this has changed how they show up for themselves in their lives and in their work? What did they maybe change in their thinking or perspectives or actions. Um, and I, I realize as I'm asking this, I'm almost doing what we're telling people not to do, which is look at the future, but Hey, it's a podcast. What are we going to do? Uh, so any, any thoughts on how uh, some, some thoughts that we can leave people with so that they can maybe start um, absorbing this information in a way that's, that's helpful or useful for them in the moment. Yeah. I love that. Um, number one, uh, they stop fighting the good fight. They're like, oh, I I don't have to fight all the fights the world seems to throw at me. And I'm like, well, I don't think that that's why you were born. So then they start sitting down and they start breathing. And then they choose that breath over the fight. Um, and then they start realizing that there was this little artist inside of them. <laughs> who always wanted to paint and they were actually super dope and they want to get back to doing that. And so they start picking up a paintbrush and they start painting and then they let that creative side of them and that space where they know that they are already free and liber liberated into their own relevance in this world in a way that makes their heart smile back at being them. They go, you know what? I'm going to open an art store. And we're like, oh, that's Dope. Then I'm like, okay, so how do you know how to do that? Well, and then all of a sudden this whole story comes out where like mom and dad used to run an art store, but like in the eighties it went under, but it was like where all their family joy was at. And it's where they remember themselves becoming an artist. And then you realize this heart is like uniquely, uniquely designed to run an art store. And so then they say, okay, well, let me figure out how to do that. Cause I'm at this corporate job. Right. Well, then they start selling their own artwork. They start getting the supplies. Um, they start focusing perhaps the first one or two hours of their life, their day uh, on themselves. And they take a breath for themselves first before they go to work for other people. 
And then slowly but surely, they breathe themselves into opening up that art store. Sometimes they keep some of the corporate job because for some people, it is aligned with how their heart expresses itself because maybe they were somehow in a creative space. For some people, they go full on into this other journey and they just pop out of that corporate mindset. Uh, leaders call back and they say things to us like, we are now, I'm free. Oh my gosh. It's like walking through the world with like, it's two different worlds. One is driving it through your brain and the other is driving it through your heart. Um, leaders call back and we just had a few leaders contact us in the past two weeks. And it was, uh, I want you to know I am breathing and my family is breathing. And I finally decided to go back to graduate school because I do want that knowledge, but I now know what to do with it. I want it for me and I want it for anybody else. I'm just gonna choose it for my relevance. Um, I want you to know that my new job, um, I'm doing so well. I haven't figured it all out, but I know that there's growth here for me. And I can see how like me being me is such a natural fit for this space. And I never would have seen it had I not gotten out of this corporate mindset and entangled from all the fights. Um, it's just wonderful, beautiful way of moving through the world where every leader knows that they are just um, allowed to be who they are. And uh, we celebrate every ounce of growth that they have. And so the fact that they will still grow is the sign that they are in the right place. And that's it. And I'm just gonna add a couple of things. And they go back to your, your point around like people going through the brain with mindfulness and journaling and so forth. And if that's where you're at, that's okay. Uh, this is an invitation to start hearing your heart more, understand your heart is stronger than your brain and that you can live a more joyful life from your heart. But if you are still in that brain space, you can take a moment maybe meditate, maybe breathe, maybe get back into yourself, go in some nature, those sorts of things, and start asking the questions of, who was I before struggle came to my heart? Who would I have been if I hadn't been told, you'll never make money doing art, or that you're a fat ass, or whatever these deficit-oriented things that were brought to you no baby is born going, boy, am I fat, right? They are taught that. It comes from outside. That is where both happiness but also traumas come from. That's in the retrospective. And from the future sense, who are you when you are in joy? What are sort of the contextual features of that? How do I know you're in joy? How would I know if I saw? And then against those features, how would you say you're doing right now? And how could we maybe move them? And you know, if you're a seven out of 10, how do we make that an eight? How do we make that a nine? And start going from there. And as we do so, recognizing that more and more, we're gonna get more into our hearts, less into our brains to make that answer more full and more complete. And that's the invitation. Martin, I just wanna say this cause you brought it up and I think it's important for people to understand the corporate mindset weaponized self-love and com conflated it with ego. What we want people to know is there is no back door from self-love to ego. They are actually two different sides of the same continuum. Ego is ego. 
And self-love leads to more self-love and it leads to you loving self and others and you can trust that. So you don't have to worry about the, is this real? If your heart is smiling back at being you being you, that is sufficient. If what you're doing is not making your heart smile or allowing it to come whole and everybody else is smiling, that might be a little bit of ego. So that's how you can sort of tell the difference, especially in this world where like you can fake it till you make it or so they think they can, but make it to what? I just want to make it to wholeness. I just want to be a flower. I wasn't ever trying to be who they wanted me to be. I love that you called out. We never say what make it is. <laughs> we say fake it till you make it. And I made it to self-loathing. Um, <laughs> um, I hate myself. <laughs> exactly. I made it. I made it to self-loathing. How great. Um, so as we wrap up the conversation here, I want to invite everyone uh, and, and us as well. Um, because we've talked so much about breath, everyone to just take a moment and take a breath at the end of this episode in three, two, one. Dr. Jax Tomer, where can people find more about your work and follow along with your journey of joy? So uh, we have our website, bigjoytheory.com. On there, we have a couple of free tools that people are welcome to jump on. Uh, we have the JQ, the joy quotient, which will kind of let you know where you're at against self-awareness, self-expression, self-efficacy, like we talked about as it pertains to joy. Uh, we also have a joy tracker, which is a daily reminder, text-based. You'd get a text each day reminding you to kind of tap in, reflect on your day through joy so you can start seeing those patterns, develop that self-awareness of joy. We also have a number of joy papers. So if you're curious about how joy applies to your particular portion of life, um, if it's through related to diversity, culture, entrepreneurship, so on and so forth, uh, we have papers there. Uh, and most recently we have a new book called The Joy Manifesto. It's up on Amazon. You can check that out. Um, otherwise, Holla, let us yeah. know where you're at. Just call us and talk to us. It's not that hard. It Hopefully we'll see you around in joy. And when your heart smiles, we'll know who you are. I love it. Thank you so much. All of that will be linked below. And I appreciate you both being here today. Thanks for sharing your joy Thanks. with all of us. I really appreciate you. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more. Thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.